Hey, it's Katie. And Alana. And you're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. <sighs> okay, so trigger warning, we will be talking about violence, specifically gun violence in this episode. If those topics are triggering for you, we completely understand and can't wait to be with you next week with a new episode not covering these topics. And with that, let's kick into our episode. Welcome back, Black and Yellow Nation. It has been a hell of a past nine days to say the absolute least Mm -hmm. if you are a new listener welcome to this caution tape colored nation we have created i feel like there has been a thick rope of caution tape wrapped around our nation lately so the color scheme feels very appropriate Mm -hmm. and if you are a return listener we are happy to have you back for another episode If you have been listening to these episodes in real time, we are going to interrupt our planned month of education-related episodes to address the tragic mass shootings in Atlanta and the rise of violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families and loved ones of the victims we lost in the shooting in Boulder, Colorado. And at the time that we are recording this episode, which is Wednesday, March 24th, 2021, We are still learning about the Boulder, Colorado shooting, so we will not be touching on that in this episode, but we did want to send our condolences to those listeners of ours who lost someone in the tragedy in Boulder. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's been two mass shootings in the span of like a week, 10 days. (sighs) It's it's a lot to process. Um, If you can hop into your digital DeLorean and think back to one year ago, Jack and I did an episode about the rise of violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders when the fear and mayhem related to the pandemic felt like they were at an all-time high. Mm. It was during that time that our former pumpkin-hued president was (laughs) vilifying Chinese and Chinese Americans for the deadly coronavirus by calling covid I hate saying this. I have like chills. I just think this is so awful and ugly. But for purposes of the show, I will repeat it. Mm. Calling um, it Kung Flu or the China virus or any other incredibly disgusting racialized uh, language surrounding Asian Americans and the uh, assumption that he wanted to lay that they had a responsibility in creating the coronavirus and bringing it here and unleashing it upon the world. Uh, This action was a way of scapegoating Asian Americans by ordinary people who were angered by the economic and social impacts of the pandemic. Mm. This hateful rhetoric uh, led to hate crimes targeting Asian Americans across major U.S. cities. There were 122 reported incidents of anti-Asian hate crimes in 16 of the country's uh, most populous cities in 2020, which is... 150% increase from the previous year. And this dial, this data was compiled as per uh, California State University's Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism. It was strongly suggested that 2020 was the worst year of this century for Asian American, for anti-Asian hate crimes. And last week, this hatred and violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and the violence against women was at an all-time high when a 21-year-old white man drunk at on rage, hatred, the patriarchy, and in seldom went on a shooting spree, killing eight people at three different Atlanta-area Asian spas. Several of his victims were women, six people of Asian descent, and two white 
One woman was an immigrant from China who built a very successful business from nothing. Another woman was a newlywed getting a massage with her husband. The oldest individual killed was 74, and the youngest was 33. And all of these individuals left behind family members, friends, loved ones, and longtime customers. While the motive was not officially confirmed, ugh, Atlanta police would like for us mm -hmm. to believe that it was linked to the assailant's sex addiction. But when most of your victims are of Asian descent, we know that's a load of crap. So let's call it what it really is, a hate crime. Yeah. Real talk. Uh, I know that the Atlanta police would like for us to focus on his quote unquote supposed sex addiction. Uh, we on Black and Yellow know better and we think differently. And so with that information, we felt it was critically important that we did a follow up episode examining where we are as a nation one year later and how as a nation we're handling violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So we're going to talk about why this problem is still persisting, the history of violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders, and what we can do to combat this problem. Buckle up. It's going to be a great show. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to put our money where our mouth is for any of our new listeners. This is our small business segment where we like to spotlight Black and Asian-owned businesses. It's our way of informing you and arming you with information that you could walk into the world with and every day engage in economic protest, i.e. diversifying your dollars by supporting mm. communities who you believe in, who you want to see thrive and succeed. So I will get it jumped off. Uh, I chose... Black Market Vintage. Black mm. is spelled B-L-K. Market is M-K-T. Vintage is, as you would just spell vintage. Uh, <laughs> on Instagram, they are at B-L-K M-K-T Vintage. Um, as we know, last week was a doozy. And this week mm. has not been much better, quite frankly. Mm -mm. Um, so I do what I always do when I'm emotionally spent. And to be really honest with you, don't want to feel feelings. I shop. Specifically, mm. I vintage shop. And this is a site that I recently found and I love. And this virtual store is Black Market Vintage. Uh, I think with all of the sadness and the rage produced by the past two mass shootings, I just wanted to drown my sorrows in the beauty of blackness. And in yes. this case, black beauty and black excellence from back in the day. So mm. Black Market Vintage is a Brooklyn-based New York antique vintage concept store specializing in collectibles, cast-offs, and curiosities, which represent the richness of Black history and lived experience. Curated by founders Joan Handy and Kiana Stewart, I hope I am pronouncing her name right, uh, the housewares slash decor, furniture, and other goods that they feature are lovingly curated, found, sorted through, and presented just for us. Uh, I currently have my eye on a couple of different patches to affix to a, denim, to a denim jacket that really mm. needs some flair, but also love that they have things like old episodes of, sorry, old episodes, old <laughs> issues of Jet and The Source and Downbeat, as well as vintage Afro picks and their original packaging, mm. a rotary phone, and old school <laughs> pressing combs. So check them out, blackmarketvintage.com. I will drop that link in show notes. Katie, what you got? 
That's awesome. And that is not a bad binge shop. That's for right. Sure. <laughs> there are way exactly. worse things. <laughs> so with all the crap that's been going on in, in I would even say the past year, um, mm-hmm. it's really important to take care of yourself and take time for yourself. And I'm not in eat ice cream, paint my nails, get a facial yeah. type of person. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't like to see my nails taken care of to feel teensy, <laughs> teensy bit better about life and also eat pie every day because I am a pie person. Um, Ooh, so okay. I could eat pie every day. Anyway, I chose Manny Me, um, M-A-N-I-M-E. So like a manicure, um, but Manny, because it's, literally a mom's dream and perfect for any busy hard-working trailblazer to use so manny me offers instant stick on gel manicures and pedicures and they don't require any paint uv rays dry time nothing you just stick it on and you're good to go and you can be off and as a mother and a full-time worker this is literally amazing i can have awesome nails and i don't have to wait for them to dry and if you're curious and if it's important to you, Manny Me is toxin-free and cruelty-free, so you can feel good about what you're sticking on your nails. And the part that really stood out to me that I think is um, more personal is that Manny Me custom fits each nail based on 3D pictures of your hands and feet. And for me, this is literally a game changer, and this is why I'm getting this, because I grew up with, I don't want to say overly wide thumbnails but pretty wide thumbnails to the point that I was never able to use gel nails ever in the past um they were never wide enough for my yeah um they fit all my other fingers but just not my thumbs and so now I can have it all so to speak in a matter of minutes and um from my knowledge Manny Me has new colors and designs almost every month that range from political empowering to holiday season specific, to nude colors, which we know is not really nude colors, to dark and mysterious, sexy, cute, any of those things. So I am definitely on a binge with those, which is a new thing for me, but I am very excited. Okay. I have a very weird question to ask, but (laughs) but it's relevant because I think that you and one of my best friends have the same kind of thumbnails. Mm. There's a name for them. It's like Hattiesburg thumbs. Oh, there's a lot of name. Yes. Yeah. Can I? Can you just hold up your? Yes, you do. Okay. Okay. Yes. Let me tell you something about your thumbs. That's gonna make you love your thumbs. I hope. Okay. So they're those thumbs. Apparently, people. There's a a name for them. Hattiesburg might be the wrong name, but my friend Kelly has told me about this before. Apparently, people with your and her thumbs are fucking awesome at video games. <gasps> oh, because there's more surface area to yeah. kind of cover on the controller. Yeah, I literally she... could have all the br- buttons at the same time. Dude, <laughs> dude, your thumbs, w- your thumbs are awesome. Your thumbs win <laughs> esports. Don't sleep on your thumbs. I understand why they're frustrating from a, a Manny point of view, but yeah. if you get into esports on the back side, oh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, very weird segue. Yes, but I hope that that makes you love your thumbs a little bit more, and I hope that that makes you yeah. just like defeat your husband in video games if you guys play video games together. We used to happens. before child. Now we're gonna have to again. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I hope that you have a little bit. Uh, I hope that that 
that some love <laughs> is giving you a little bit of happiness to go forward through this episode. I will drop links to both of these businesses in the show notes. But let's kick into the meat of the episode. Um, the United States has had a long history of violence against Asian Americans. And just a little food for thought as we head down this racist rabbit hole. Violence, often driven by anti-Asian xenophobia, has become a very regular practice during times of crisis in the United States. Mm -hmm. This is not some new shit. Um, I've got a great quote here. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Quote, anti-Asian racism in this country just gets a new facelift from time (laughs) to time, says Lok Su, who is an expert in Asian diasporas and transnationalism and Mm. has studied the social climate that created anti-Asian sentiments during the pandemic. Mm. Quote, the continual and persistent reinvocation of the deeply ingrained notion that Asian Americans are, quote, outsiders and therefore don't belong in the U.S., fuels anti-Asian sentiments and attacks during moments of social crisis or disruption. One might say that our economic system kind of inherently breeds this sort of racism and antagonism that produces racial conflict and violence, end quote, she added. So we wanted to do a semi-quick history lesson about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just how pervasive and long-standing violence against Asian Americans has been in the United States. Hooray for history, class. History. To be honest, this is Here probably the most I ever learned about Asian American history. But let's you know get what? Going. Before we get into it, that's <laughs> yeah. real and that's sad. And that's not me commenting on, on you not learning it. We don't teach our we don't teach our students we don't. whatsoever. We do not a- educate our children about anti-Asian sentiments. We talk to them about slavery. We talk about anti-Black sentiments, but we don't talk to them about We only talk about, about white people in a positive light. Yeah. I mean, does not of include our, like, this. interruption of our education shows, like, we need to be talking more about this history because it is critically important. Okay, I'm handing it the floor over back to you. No, it's totally true, though. Totally true. So we're going to start back at the 1800s. Ooh. <laughs> Definitely didn't Take it all the way back. <laughs> so, um... People versus Hall. So Chinese immigrants uh, began coming to the United States in significant numbers in the 1850s, largely to California and other Western states to work in mining and railroad construction. There was high demand for these dangerous low-wage jobs, and Chinese immigrants were willing to fill them. Almost immediately, the racist trope of, quote, Asians coming to steal white jobs, quote, was born. And in 1854, the California Supreme Court reinforced racism against Asian immigrants and People vs. Hall, ruling that people of Asian descent could not testify against a white person in court, virtually guaranteeing Mm. that whites could escape punishment for anti-Asian violence. In this case, it was murder. Uh George Hall shot and killed Chinese immigrant Ling Sing. I hope I'm saying that right. And the testimony of witnesses was rejected because they were also Asian. Ha, right? Mm. All piecing together already. I mean, we've seen this before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, this Mm -hmm. comes up again. Then we have the Chinese Massacre of 1871. On October 24th, 1871, following the murder of a white man caught in the crossfire between rival Chinese groups, 
more than 500 white and Hispanic rioters surrounded and attacked Los Angeles' small Chinese community centered in a red light district known as, I hate saying this word, as Negro Alley. Negro Alley. Not, I got you. I got not you. That I've, not that I've ever said it before. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I got I you. That's cool. Like yeah. At least 17 Chinese men totally. and boys were lynched, including a prominent local doctor. They were hanged across several downtown sites, anywhere the rioters could find a beam to string a noose. Ugh. Eight of the rioters were eventually convicted of manslaughter, but their convictions were overturned. No one else was ever punished. Yeah. Which, a couple of years ago, leads us to, I think, if there's one part of anti-Asian violence that gets overstated, it is the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. We talk a lot about this act, but we don't talk about the events that led up to it. So, economic mm -hmm. woes in the 1870s spawned another spike in anti-Asian racism and scapegoating. In 1882, Congress overwhelmingly passed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which banned Chinese immigration for 20 years. Mm. President Chester A. Arthur vetoed it, but then signed another version with a 10-year ban. The what? first, it's like, <laughs> I don't Make understand that move. I don't understand that move at all. Uh, the first law placing a restriction on immigration to the U.S., it was extended for more than 60 years before it was repealed in 1943. Dang. Here's something I did not know. I didn't know about the Rock Springs Massacre of 1885. This sent Ooh, a chill down my spine. In, uh, in Rock Springs, Wyoming Territory, longstanding aggression against Chinese miners exploded in September of 1885, where 100 to 150 vigilantes surrounded and attacked Chinese <gasps> mine workers, killing 28 and burning 79 homes. This is hard to read. Hundreds fled to a nearby town. Then they were tricked into oh, boarding God. a train that they were told would take them to safety in San Francisco. Instead, it took them back to <gasps> Rock Springs, <sighs> where they were forced back into the mine. Federal troops stayed for 13 years to impose this order. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's hard to read. That's hard to think to about. listen to. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It really just goes to show you that. The white writers of our history books are doing people of color a massive disservice because that is a very ugly stain on this country that mm -hmm. clearly has been worked to be hidden because yeah. I had no idea. And I've been doing no. this show for quite a while. I've been doing this race work for quite a while. I had no idea that that was in our nation's history. I have a master's degree in cultural studies and I had no idea about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we're only at the 1900s. I know. I know. But it just shows you how long standing this history is and how we have we have to work to overturn all of this hatred because it does go back so far. Mm hmm. If you don't learn, then how are you supposed to move yeah. forward? Yeah, totally. And nobody teaches us. So, OK, um, San Francisco. OK. In 1900, an outbreak of bubonic plague struck San Francisco. It is likely that the outbreak began with a ship from Australia, but since the first stateside victim was a Chinese immigrant, the whole community was blamed for it. Ugh. Overnight, the city's Chinatown was surrounded by police preventing anyone but white residents from going in or out. 
Chinese residents were also subjected to home searches and property destruction by force. Does this scapegoating sound familiar? People ah. ready? <laughs> I'm yeah. Hmm. Um, Japanese internment camps. So, um, this one I didn't learn about from my husband's family, <laughs> which is still okay. terrible. Um, in the 1940s, tens of thousands of Japanese immigrants and Japanese Americans had built lives in the United States. After Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and the United States entered World War II, the U.S. government forced all of them into internment camps for the duration of the war over suspicions they might aid the enemy. Conditions in the camps were extreme, blazing hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter. No spies were ever found. When they were freed, many returned to find their homes and businesses vandalized or confiscated. In 1988, survivors received a presidential apology and $20,000 each in reparations. Um, so my... Yeah, really. So my husband's grandmother was in the internment camps and we live 10 minutes from a former internment camp that is now a fairground, eighth largest fair in the world or in the United States. That's intense. Like, how does Mm -hmm. can I just ask what that feels like to drive by it and know what it once was? Or if you don't want to talk about it, you so don't have to. But that's really intense. No, you know what the the worst thing is, is I didn't even know that until I went to college. Wow. And I lived, so living next to this amusement park of sorts, or or, yeah, I would say amusement park, um, we would have like a fair day, which is a day where school is out and we all get free passes to the fair every year, you know, K through 12. And then you go to college and you take history and you learn, actually, yeah, yeah. And so it it was hard to process the idea that this giant and also like a top 10 fair in the nation Mm. used to be such an awful place. Yeah. 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 It's hard to have fun. It's hard to enjoy yourself or think, oh, this is a great place. I'm having a great time when you know the history of a place for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. That's rude. Um, I know that we were just talking about World War Two. Let's let's shift gears here to the Vietnam War. So at the close of the Vietnam War, the United States resettled many Vietnamese flee, uh, resettled many Vietnamese fleeing the communists. In Texas, many of those immigrants took up shrimping. One of them says, quote, we like the weather. We like the shrimp. We like the chance to start our own businesses, end quote. Uh, As they worked hard and began to dominate the industry, the trope of Asians coming to take white jobs. There we go again returned. Mm -hmm. And this time it was wearing a white hood. KKK leader, uh, I'm not going to give his name, I will not give him the platform, trained his members in commando style attacks. They patrolled the waters in their regalia and set boats owned by Vietnamese people on fire. Uh, fast forward to the murder of Vincent Chin. I'm going to quickly, uh, we've done a, an, an in-depth episode on the murder of Vincent Chin. So if you want more info on that, check out our episode called Remember Vincent Chin. It was released on June 25th, 2020. Not entirely sure of the episode number. I should be counting these. I apologize. <laughs> I don't. But um, yeah, flash forward to the murder of Vincent Chin. Then flash forward to the L.A. riots. This hits personally home for me. So tensions had been building between the black and Korean American communities in Los Angeles for years. Then came the April 29th, 
1992 acquittal of the police officers caught on camera beating Rodney King. Mm. As the city erupted in riots, Korean-American businesses became targets. Thousands were damaged during the unrest. And then after the terrorist attack of September 11, 2001, hate crimes spiked against Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim, including people of South Asian descent. Only four days after the attacks, aircraft mechanic Frank Silva Rogue, I think I'm saying that right, uh, murdered, oh, geez, Balir Singh Bal- Sodi. Thank you. Yep. Um, a Sikh American gas station owner originally from India whom they mistook for Muslim. The post-9-11 period led to greater awareness and advocacy between the South and East Asian communities. That's a rough history to recount. And that's probably not even all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is the semi-quick version, which, yeah, I mean, when you think about it like that, there's a lot that's been left out of this for for length reasons of the show because we have so much more material to cover. But it really does go to show that our education system needs to do better by not just black people, Asian American people, too. They have a very long standing history that needs to be respected so it's not repeated. And mm-hmm. as we have just seen, a lot of the sins of white America or of the United States against Asian Americans keep repeating themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we understand that hateful rhetoric precedes hateful action, but we need to take it seriously because it mm-hmm. just keeps happening. And it can stop happening if people are educated and know what happened in the past to fight what's coming in the future. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Getting a little hot under the collar talking about this. (laughs) Uh, Question. So how has history perpetuated anti-Asian thoughts and actions? So many ways. (laughs) One of them is the Page Act of 1875, which prohibited the immigration of Chinese women to, quote, end the danger of cheap Chinese labor, end quote, and they were called, quote, sexually immoral prostitutes, unquote. Yeah, the word immoral came up quite a bit as one of the words that was assigned to Asian immigrants during this time. And I think that was driven by the fear. The fear of immorality was especially triggering during that time because the U.S. was founded on Christian values. And so anything Mm -hmm. or anyone who perceived to challenge those Christian values was immediately viewed as a threat. And Asian Asian immigrants would fall into that perceived category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we move into Japanese schoolgirl fashion. Yeah. Yeah, which was seen as hypersexual in the 1990s and girls were viewed as prostitutes for older men, which is a harmful idea that still exists today. And the War Bride Acts of 1945 and 1946 didn't help that at all, uh, which allowed the immigration of military brides, often married to U.S. soldiers who fought imperialistic wars. And they, too, faced discrimination both in their homeland and in the U.S. So it was a lose-lose situation, I thought. Yeah. But um Another thing uh, that I found on the at Generations Instagram account was this quote saying, uh, quote, uh, combating sexual violence and sexual stereotypes. Asian women have been fetishized. Oh, my gosh. Fetish. Yeah, I can't even say that word. And but you know what I mean? And hypersexualized. Yeah, yeah. The perceptions of Asian women as submissive and, quote, exotic, end quote, are rooted in U.S. history. Media like the musical Miss Saigon 
have repeatedly depicted Asian women as vying for the attention of white men to gain visas and perpetuating the, quote, dragon lady, quote, stereotype that women are deceitful and sexually motivated, end quote. Yeah, Xenerations uh, came strong with a lot of research for this episode. And Xenerations is just a really dope Instagram page mm-hmm. to check out. So I'm going to drop it in show notes for anyone who is interested in following them. It's a great follow. Uh, I can't, we can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the hypersexualization of Asian women, we would be remiss to not mention the role that our U.S. military mm-hmm. contributed to this, this concept of Asian women as being hypersexualized. During the wars in the Philippines at the start of the 19th century and during the mid-20th century, wars in Korea and Vietnam, uh, servicemen took advantage of women who turned to sex work in response to their lives being wrecked and ravaged by war. During World War II, these women were known as comfort women. Quite a light label for Mm -hmm. exactly what these women endured and what they had to go through and the trauma that their bodies were put through and um that comfort women could be just an episode in and of itself it feels mm-hmm. like it feels like that's another stain on our american history that we do not like to talk about but i think black and yellow should change that sorry for the tangent uh no, in the 1960s the u.s government brokered a deal with thailand to be a quote rest and relaxation end quote Ugh. center for the for military personnel fighting in vietnam Vietnam. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) Sorry that I said it like that. Uh, That bolstered what became the foundations of Thailand's modern day sex tourism industry, which attracts men from the United States and from Europe. Wow. I know that Americans don't like to be critical of our U.S. military, but in this particular in this particular way, I think that we do we cannot not mention how much they played a role in that. There's even a line, rest and relaxation, that's in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. The white military. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a Disney movie that your kids mm-hmm. grew up watching, and they probably have Listen, that song memorized. Disney can be racist, like racist, but hey, it, it, it's Disney, and that's that's not uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a whole other episode. That's a whole uh, other episode. <laughs> Um, so something that was that piqued my interest uh, was another Instagram post by at generations about East Asians perceived proximity to whiteness and how that is harmful. Uh, so, quote, East Asians out of all people of color are believed to have very close proximity to, quote, societal whiteness, quote. When this is coupled with the fact that many only regard East Asians under the term Asian without taking into consideration South, Central, West, and Southeast Asians, it results in the racism experienced by Asians being seriously downplayed. The possible reason for this is the model minority myth. It creates a wedge between Asians and other people of color because many find it difficult to accept that the Asian community's relative economic privilege can coexist with their identities as minorities and people of color. Perhaps other people of color see this disconnect between their lives and the Asian community's experiences as a correlation between Asians and whiteness, which is an extremely flawed and harmful mindset to harbor, end quote. Um, So racism of Asian communities is often... Go ahead. 
No, no, no. Go for it. You got, okay. you got it. So uh, racism of Asian communities is often erased and unconfronted because of these and other ideas. Um, another quote was some people's categorization of Asians as white allowed them to turn a blind eye to the violence that Asians were facing. End quote. Mm. Um, which is a That's heavy a hard hitter. Truth. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, we're going to touch on yeah. the model minority myth a little bit later in the episode for sure. So I thank you for setting that up um, because that definitely does feed into a, a later bit of a discussion about why the model minority myth is dangerous and who it leaves behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of the, this perceived proximity to whiteness, the model minority myth, since we're talking about it, plays <laughs> Asians as a monolith, that they are all wealthy and successful, like crazy rich Asians. And the bling empire, I should say, because that's newer. This erases <laughs> the idea Asians are a vulnerable, marginalized, and oppressed community. So their painful experiences with racism are dismissed. So just let that sink in. And... Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of conversation recently about um, how shows like Bling Empire and movies like Crazy Rich Asian are doing uh, Asian Americans across the diaspora a disservice mm. by making them all appear as though they are rich, blinged out, and incredibly successful. And I don't know if I can fully agree with that. I don't think that those... I don't feel like those movies have worked in that way. Instead, I feel like those movies have worked to make Asian people um, in our American culture a lot more pop culturally relevant than they mm -hmm. ever have been before. And I do think that that kind of mainstream cultural relevancy is important. And we've never seen it before. Yeah. It's not about the culture. It's about them as human beings. Yeah. Yeah, people are really critical of Bling Empire. Listen, I love me some Bling Empire. I, I will not lie. <laughs> I binged it in two days. Cherie is like a feminist icon to me. I, um, yeah, total tangent. But I, I can understand why someone feels like that's how the model minority myth is 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 uh, being employed in this day and age. But I also mm. think it's really important that we make space for Asian American Pacific Islanders in popular culture. We don't yes. see them enough. Yeah. And there's a lot of questions around that, too, of do we settle with what is given to us or do we criti critically analyze it and critique it for better right. representation or more relatable representation would probably be a better term. Totally. Um, and, and it really depends on the opinion of yeah. said person that you're asking. Definitely. I agree with yeah. you 100%. Mm -hmm. um, and something else I wanted to say uh, going off a little bit differently is Asian, well, every identity has has multiple layers and multiple intersections. And one of the intersections that I wanted to touch on is the transracial Asian adoptee narrative, which is me. Um, so I wanted to talk about, um, for those of you who are Asian adoptees, for those of you who are second, third, fourth, fifth generation Asian American Pacific Islanders, um, or also Pacific Islander adoptees, and anyone who identifies as biracial or mixed race. Um, it can be a very confusing and alienating time right now when our identities are maybe questioned um, and it can be overwhelming how to navigate the past year's events. And I can only speak from my own perspective as a transracial adoptee, but I do highly recommend and encourage you to check out the um, there's an Instagram post from at Diversify Our Narrative. 
um, they did write a letter to Asian adoptees, but I do think that it is relatable and something that people who identify as biracial or mixed race, who identify as second, third, fourth, fifth generation Asian American Pacific Islanders can also identify with. So I did want to um, bring it up and talking about the idea of being Asian enough. Um, so I wanted to say a couple quotes from them, but you can check out their full letter on their Instagram. So one of the quotes was saying, quote, um, you're watching a community, technically your community in distress and disarray, but you don't know if you can commiserate alongside them. Looking from the outside in, you may be wondering, am I allowed to mourn with those that don't see me as one of them, end quote. And then the other one is, um, quote, Asian adoptees often get to experience anti-Asian hate even when they don't feel, quote, Asian enough, quote. We may not get to experience the best parts of our heritage, but we certainly get exposed to the worst worst parts of ours, oh my gosh, of others' interpretations of us. While our own struggle with Asian identification may occur within to the outside world, we are just as much a threat as Asian non-adoptees. We are still in danger, end quote. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Because uh, I know that you are an adoptee, but you're also a mom. Yes. What has I hear Tiny T in the background? Like, are you, <laughs> what is this? Pro, what has this been like for you as a parent? You know, so uh, there's kind of been a disconnect. I think because he's a baby, um, okay. so I, he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't really even met anyone outside of our house. Got it. So the pandemic, yes. Yeah, yes. because of the pandemic. So it's not like I take him to the grocery store with me, or we go out to restaurants or anything. And in those situations, I totally would have a very different opinion. Because he's only really ever been in the house or at the doctor's office, I feel yet yeah, there's a huge disconnect. There's also a ability to compartmentalize everything that's going on, I think, because of it. And also because I'm working from home, so I don't see any of my students. If I do, it's it's via phone and I don't see faces and they don't see my face. And they can assume based on my last name, but they don't, you know, say anything um, cause also right. that would be racist and, um, <laughs> exactly. And I think just because we do have a baby, it is an, it is a, um, I would say like a self care for us where mm. we just see him laugh all day and we see him wanting to kiss our faces all day. And it's like, how can you be upset at the world when you are isolated in your house? And Yeah. So, and I guess it also, you know, for clarity, it's, um, we live in a, somewhat of a newer neighborhood and I would identify as, as middle class. So we don't necessarily feel like we have to be worried or concerned about someone showing up at our house one day. Um, mm -hmm. and I would also say that our neighborhood is, is fairly diverse in age and race and okay. family dynamics and types and other. So I've, yeah, I feel a lot safer just being where we are and in our current situation. And so I think for me, it's been a very different experience um, navigating everything that's been going on than it has been for um, my fellow community and friends and coworkers. Got it. Just yes. curious. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that asking. Um, yeah. Okay. For sure. We're going to move away uh, from history. We're going to talk we're about hate. Woo! Yes. Oh. <laughs> 
what a so great fun. Oh. <laughs> right exactly exactly painful history to, to, to hate crimes but here we go it's it's important so um hate crimes and why did it take so long for the police in atlanta to even uh start to even think that this could be a hate crime i think that that was one thing that many of us were very frustrated about mm-hmm. uh if you can remember the uh, speaker of the pd referred to the assailant's attack as quote a bad day which i think all of us had a clutch the pearls guffaw moment and were incredibly <laughs> yes. oh offended by the 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 flippant thought and flippant disregard that goes into making a statement like that. Did you see the um, meme about that? Yes. The yeah. ice cream I, meme? I don't think he's, I think he's been removed also as being like a sort of public speaker, forward facing police for the that police department. Oh, no, no. I meant the meme that is making fun of that. No. It's like, it was a guy saying, um, you know, when I have a bad day, I go out and get ice cream. I don't kill a bunch of people. Yes. Okay. Yes. I have seen this one. Yes. <laughs> yes. When I have a bad day, I vintage shop, but I definitely don't like bust caps and a bunch of strangers. Yeah. That's, it, that's ludicrous. Uh, just to be clear, a hate crime as defined by the FBI is a criminal offense motivated by race, religion, sexual orientation, and other factors. And as per NBC, Asian Americans say over 3,800 anti-Asian hate crimes happened in the past year, and 68% of them were reported by Asian women. I also want to add a small addition here that there was a striking rise in violence against older Asian people Mm -hmm. as of the last year, which is confusing to me. Why don't you fucking pick on someone your own size, not a 76-year-old Asian man walking home? Like, the the, the, my black grandmother in me is like, respect your elders. Like, why Mm -hmm. are you attacking people in their their golden years? If you want to pick on someone, which please don't, but don't run up and do it on an older Asian person. They already had to deal with a bunch of crap. Yeah. Like, they've put up with a lot of shit already. Leave the elders alone. Just leave all Asian American Pacific Islanders alone. But really, leave the elders alone. Did you hear about the slapping going on in the Bay Area now? Yes. Ugh. Yes. Um, Okay. So why are mass media news networks so quiet about this? Why are they hesitant to label this a hate crime? So you can find all of the information I'm about to say also on Instagram because that's the only place I ever am at <laughs> Michelle Kim Kim. And I love that she is um, basically outing all of these news networks because somebody needs to do it. Yeah. And we need to share it. Real. The Atlanta shooting headlines originally did not mention the women killed were Asian or that it was an Asian massage parlor. But these massage parlors were at least like 30 minutes away from each other. So, you know, it was intentional. Yeah, that's real. Something that I did not know until yesterday or maybe it was the day before that um, Michelle also had mentioned that she was not aware of that they were very late to say is Mario, uh, Mario, Mario Gonzalez. I am so sorry. A Latino male survivor of the Atlanta shooting was mistakenly handcuffed for two hours. Yeah. Oh, 
while mm-hmm. his wife lay dying. He didn't find out she was yep. even killed until after he was released from police custody. But I guess at this point we shouldn't really be surprised. But still, it's sure, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and something another thing, CNN interviewed the murderer's grandparents to humanize him, but they got the victims' names wrong with zero details of their lives. Oh my gosh. So in Yeah. So for context, in uh Korean first names are spelled with a space, but journalists and reporters in this particular situation only included part of the first name, assuming the rest of the first name was a middle name. And this is actually how my middle name is too. Many Korean women also do not change their last name after marriage. So the reports and journalists listed the family last name, even though the victim identified with a different last name, which is messed up. And some of the families... That would piss um, me off. Yeah. It was like... uh, And and I'm going to skip ahead and then go back. But uh, media news outlets would say... um, Like, this would be an example of saying... You know, instead of Taylor Swift, we say Tay L Swift. Instead of Selena Gomez, we say Sel E Gomez. Instead of Ariana Grande, Ari A Grande. And um, one thing that I really liked that Michelle did was she she quote um, she just added them by saying quote Journalists would never release a non Asian name with half of the first name spelled out. You would just never do that. Cutting off half of a Korean person's name is like saying those names. The other thing that um, I was not aware of, not that we hear anything from media anyway, but some of the families asked for the victims' <laughs> names to not be publicized, and yet they all are. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's disheartening. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not know that. Also, I also didn't realize that Korean women did not change their names after marriage. That was a fun little rabbit hole that I fell down because i was like that's dope well only because mm-hmm. when my fiance proposed to me i immediately said yes and the next statement out of my mouth was but i'm not changing my name and so when i mentioned to, to dylan that like korean women don't change name after marriage he was like maybe you're a korean woman and so i was like oh okay well but i'm not crazy like like there are cultures that do this so but yeah, that's yeah. super disheartening to know that the the journalism was so messy and flip it to not cross their eyes and it was all the major ones too it was you know like cnn washington post new york like all of the major ones yeah across their eyes dot their eyes and cross Mm -hmm. their t's and you know good and hell well that would never happen if the victims were white Mm -hmm. it would never happen we would get those names absolutely correct we would double triple check our work before we released it to the public but that just goes to show how we still in the united states after lives have been lost we still don't fully view asian americans as fully human black americans can relate to this remember three-fifths of a human we relate to having our humanity not totally validated and not totally seen um a little bit of a white journalism there for you and how it lets mm-hmm. us down. Um, I I wanted to, to switch gears here a little bit and talk about the yeah. fact that the Atlanta shooting was not quickly labeled a hate crime. And I was interested in finding out why, mm. even though most of the victims were from the Asian diaspora, I my I was just frustrated 
that our news media was so slow to label this atrocity a hate crime. And so I did a little Mm. bit of digging to figure out why and came up with two theories as to perhaps why um, we didn't label these, these, this tragedy, a hate crime as quickly as we should have. Okay. So theory number one, if a racial slur is not employed, it's not a hate crime. (laughs) I think there are a lot of white people that believe that if, a racial slur is not used during a hateful crime. It is not a hate crime. It has to include a slur of some sort, which is ludicrous because in this particular tragedy, a slur didn't have to be used when someone decided to go on a killing spree and murder eight people. Six of those people are from the Asian diaspora. Like you don't, you don't have to employ a slur. We can see it with our own fucking eyes. A second theory that I thought was actually quite interesting that I had never considered, but Mm. was uh, given by Nicole Hong over at the New York Times. She said on a recent episode of the New York Times' podcast, The Daily, she said, quote, what I learned is that proving anti-Asian hate crimes is especially difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's difficult against many different groups, but especially against Asian Americans because there are not widely recognized symbols of hate that people immediately associate with Asian Americans. For instance, the way a noose or a swastika can. Mm. When we see that, we recognize that for what it is. Or when we see them, we recognize them for what they are. Mm -hmm. They know the history, and there's an immediate public outrage with these images. I think it ties into the history of Asian Americans in this country. It's a lot less clear-cut in that sense. And that makes the search for motive in a lot of these attacks particularly confusing. End quote. Mm. I had never considered that because we didn't have imagery that was specific to Asian American Pacific Islanders that we then had a hard time thinking, oh, this is a hate crime. I had never considered Mm -hmm. that um, theory before, but I can't stop thinking about it because I do think there is some validity there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, but also at the same time, reading through the history, I think, well, a noose, seeing a noose can be violence against black people. It can also be violence against Asian people as per the like history tour that we just had earlier in the episode. Right, right. Yeah, of course. I hmm. wanted to circle back to the model minority myth. Yes. Um, I wanted to take a moment and examine how the model minority myth plays into this event because it played a bigger role than we initially gave it credit for. You did a great job of setting up what the minor, what the model minority myth was, so I won't reiterate it and redefine it. Mm-hmm. But simply put, let us not forget that the model minority myth is racism dressed up as flattery or a yes. compliment. Make no yes. mistake about it. <laughs> Just have to say that. When news of the shootings first broke, there was a lot of focus about how the model minority myth silences Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, essentially meaning that in exchange for acceptance by white people, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders need to shove down and stay mm. silent about any racism they might be facing, any violence they may that may threaten them, or any societal concerns that they may need or have. Uh, in essence, don't make waves and you're good by us is mm. sort of the, the, the way the silencing of the model minority myth works. But there is another way that the triple M 
functions in this tragedy. And that is how the Triple M determines who is worthy of respect or not. Yes. Right? When we Mm -hmm. look at the women who were slain in the Atlanta shooting, these were not the Asian American women that we typically see in Hollywood or in boardrooms Mm -hmm. or in academia. They were working class immigrant women working in a place that some may label as seedy, doing work that some might consider to be demeaning or demoralizing. Mm. There's also often an assumed uh, implication made about the type of massage parlors that these women worked in and Mm -hmm. sex work, i.e. the kind of place that generally is spoken about with a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You can get a happy ending there. Narrative, if you know what I'm saying. Rush hour two. Mm-hmm. Right. And <laughs> wow, throw back a uh, <laughs> reference that I was not expecting. <laughs> but yes, you are absolutely right. Um, and the assailant very clearly had that thought in mind when he decided to go on this rampage and remove, quote, the temptation. Sarah Lee over at Teen Vogue wrote an article about this, and she she touches on the concept of respectability and how it plays into this tragedy. She says, quote, the very concept of respectability is one that can kill, and it unfairly splits the Asian American Pacific Islander community into two camps, those who are deserving of respect and those who aren't. It's why Asian American Pacific Islander advocates have always stressed the importance of representation because by only showcasing, quote, respectable Asians, i.e. highly educated, compliant. Again, there's a lot about like rule following when Mm -hmm. it comes to Asian women, which is super disturbing, Uh, fluent English speakers, etc. It sends a clear message of whose narratives matter and whose don't. When news of their murders broke out, people immediately began making, quote, happy ending (sighs) remarks on Twitter, making light (sighs) about not only the violent killings of six women, but stereotyping them and using their their speculated work to dehumanize them. Mm. The lack of empathy in their case as female blue collar workers shows exactly how this misconception came into play in this case. It also shows that the difference between who is respected and Mm -hmm. who isn't could be the difference between life and death, end quote. That's why the model minority myth is dangerous. Because let Mm -hmm. it be known, it is a tool for white supremacy. Don't get it twisted. It Mm -hmm. might sound flattering. It's not. It's putting a knee on someone else's back, on someone else's neck to lift someone else up, even if it doesn't immediately look like that or feel like that. The model minority myth, I'm going to call it the triple M for short, um, doesn't take into account all Asian American Pacific Islanders in the United States across the diaspora, um, excluding, including working class immigrants, those people who are mocked for speaking in broken English, being darker than that of your typical East Asian and who might not have the same education level that we uh, assume an Asian American, a Pacific Islander has. If we're looking at them through the model minority lens, that lens excludes all of those people that I just mentioned. It also Mm -hmm. drives a wedge between Asian American, Pacific Islanders and other racial groups. Especially during a time where we need to be standing in solidarity 
that myth only fuels division. Mm -hmm. And in times like this, it's critically important that we are standing in solidarity with our Asian American Pacific Islander crew and we're not divided. And the model minority myth works against that. And also, I just, to end this segment, I was curious as to why white supremacists date Asian women. I just needed a little bit Mm. of clarity there, and I found it. I found an answer. Okay. Uh, As per Andrea Lim wrote for the New York Times in 2018, white supremacists have been known to date Asian women because, on the one hand, they are seen as the model minority, Mm. as successful and as well-behaved. Again, there we go with behavior. Mm. While, on the other hand exists the myth of subservient, hypersexual Asian woman. So we got to dead this model minority myth. The model minority myth is not helping anyone. But I also realize that's a lot easier said than done. Right. Because when you're talking about it on a large societal level, that's one challenge. But when you boil it down to individual people and see that, ooh, perhaps it is the model minority myth that might be the difference between me getting bumped up in my career and getting a pay grade, Mm -hmm. that's the human difficulty of the model minority myth. That's where the, okay, I know that it's fucked up, but it's feeling kind of flattering and I might be able to get ahead, but maybe I can't. That's where that comes into play. And so while it's so difficult to dismantle, um, I think it needs to be done. To, yes. to, to, to just in overall uh, bolster Asian American Pacific Islanders in this country. I think that the model minority myth holds them back. It does. Personally. In every possible way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, I just also wanted to mention that violence against Asian American women is violence against women everywhere. Yes. And this act serves to reinstate that um, generally, when someone creates this amount of mass murder, it generally starts with if someone is disturbed from a young age, it starts with violence against animals. It grows into violence against women. And then it grows into full on violence against the public. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important that as we are processing this tragedy, And we are having these conversations about Asian American Pacific Islanders and their safety. That we are also not forgetting that this attack on women is steeped in patriarchy and should Mm -hmm. be called out for what it is. Yes, it is a hate crime. It is a patriarchy-fueled hate crime, among Mm -hmm. other things. Don't forget that. The assailant clearly had a very fetishized and objectified view of Asian women and their bodies, Mm -hmm. which I think is also critically disturbing that I think we have to take a look at moving forward. Another reason why we cannot hypersexualize Asian women. Mm -hmm. And the assailant in the shooting is pretty emblematic of the type of white man that through 44's presidency uh, became a thorn in the side of most Americans, because this type of white man thinks that his life's problems are unjust and should be and should not be happening to him by virtue of being born white and male in a society that tells white men that they are the most valuable members of society and they should sit at the top of the social hierarchy at all times. Mm. This is the kind of white man uh, that believes that his life problems should be arbitrated to the rest of society to deal with. If I have to deal with them, so do you. 
And mm. this kind of angry white guy is a very dangerous, angry white man that we that we unfortunately, I think we're going to see a lot more of before we stop seeing him. My fear mm. in all of this violence is that people are feeling insignificant mm. and are using violence to feel significant. So be oh. on the lookout for, you know, just be vigilant. Um, with the rise of this kind of hatred, it's it. Look out for each other. I think is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, yeah but I think sure. sadly, I do think that this kind of violence is going to get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. Maybe that's just positive thinking, but I do believe it will get better. Yeah, we hope it gets better. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Good way of saying it. Yes. And my child is obviously very upset about that. Yeah, um. <laughs> Tiny T is like starting a revolution. Well, let's talk about media portrayals of Asian yes. American women and Asian fetishization, shall we? Yeah, so the definition of fetish- fetishization, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I got you. Is, uh, quote, a person's exclusive or near exclusive preference for sexual intimacy with others belonging to a specific racial outgroup like being attracted merely because of their skin color or race. Uh, Fetishization also expects a whole community of individuals to look, act, and think in the same manner, unquote. Um, And this is from, surprise, Instagram um, account at Afropuff Chronicles. Um, So Asian fetishization, also called yellow fever, has a long history of being disguised as a compliment or attraction, but it is still a form of racism. The, uh, quote, the advancement of fetishizing Asians can be attributed to the popularity of Asian cultures and entertainment, including anime and K-pop, end quote. Uh, people may see Asian and think of a Korean pop star like BTS. Uh, that was a bad example, like Girls' Generation, excuse me, or anime or <laughs> what's it, Blackpink. Blackpink would be a better example or anime characters, uh, which leads to yeah, the characterization, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, of Asian people. And for women, that emphasizes soft, submissive, and hypersexualized mannerisms. Also, like, super pale, super thin. Like, yeah. Right. Anyway, um, examples of Asian I was wondering women. where you were going with BTS. Yeah, that was a bad example. That was just the first thing that I came up with. It's okay. Yeah, I meant to say Blackpink. Sorry. Um, it's like, how is she going to spin this one? Okay. But to be honest, a lot of male K-pop groups do cross-dress. So they do a lot of drag. Um, no, no, yay! <laughs> <laughs> we can turn it around. Specifically for the segment, I was like, wait, hold on one second. Actually, we're talking about women, but okay. Like, let's talk about BTS. Let's talk about the lady boy. Sure. Uh-huh. Oh, that, yeah, that would be um, sorry, a whole nother. That would be a whole nother thing. Um, That's a whole different topic. Yeah. yeah. At um, at diet underscore Prada, they created this, I guess, like a, a collage of the harmful portrayals of Asian women in media. And so I just wanted to label a couple of that or a few of them. So one is Austin Powers gold member with the Japanese twins and their schoolgirl uniforms being hypersexualized, having a threesome. Um, then there's 2002 Mean Girls with the Asian high school student who has an affair with the older white male coach. Um, yep. In 2012, Amy Schumer did a mostly sex stuff comedy sketch mocking Asian women and perpetuating unfounded stereotypes that reduced Asian women to their genitalia. I did not know that one. In 2018, the week of um, Danielle is a bridesmaid who identifies as Asian American 
and she pushes herself onto the bride-to-be's ex-boyfriend and they obviously you know do it and that is literally probably one of the only lines or only times that you see her throughout the entire movie that i remember at least oh i didn't know that yeah um she has very few lines and um Kim and Nami's parody music video, Kung Fu Vagina, which is a parody of Kung Fu fighting, literally just came out this year, 2021. Yeah. 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 But obviously, there are also good representations, too, like Rachel and Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Nico and Disney's Runaways TV show, if you've ever seen that, the movie Always Be My Maybe. Um, Those are all nice changes from the stereotypes and dominating narratives of how Asian women are stereotypically said to be in society. So, yeah. Also, if you are a reality TV watcher, specifically a Real Housewives watcher, as I am, I watch every franchise. Um, Tiffany on Real Housewives of Dallas is fucking awesome. She is so awesome. I cannot, I just can't overstate it enough. I didn't see any reality TV show example in there, so I was like, hold on one second. I gotta call yeah, out the reality really, TV show. I'm not really into the, yeah. <laughs> That's I, okay. I was trying to keep up with The Bachelor on um on Twitter, but uh, mm. yeah, it was hard. No pressure. No pressure. And yeah. I just want to reiterate, I don't, I, with my res- with respect to BTS, I don't believe that they are all lady boys. That's not at all what I was trying to infer. Right. <laughs> just want to we just love them. put yeah. that out there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think BTS is lady boys. I the, the segment was about women, so I thought that that was maybe where it was going. No respect. Yeah, there was to just BTS. some miscommunication. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. So now that brings us to the my favorite part of the show, and I think the most. Um, I think personal that we're going to get in this episode, we're talking about the call to action. Mm. And so Katie and I decided to handle the call to action a little bit differently than we normally would. Normally we would go back and forth, switching off um, call to actions from both of our points of view, but we're going to do something a little bit different this time. Katie is going to talk to our Asian American Pacific Islander listeners. I'm going to talk to our, non-Asian American Pacific Islander listeners, I'm going to talk to the allies because we believe that to really attack this problem, we've got to attack it from all angles. Yes. So I hand it over to you, Katie. Okay. So as an Asian American woman, I wanted to give my two cents on the numerous reactions and posts that I've seen since the Atlanta hate crime. And so here is my rant. I've seen many comments on anti-Asian hate crime posting saying, why are you bunching us all, all us white people together saying none of us care? I'm here. I care. Well, truthfully, it's not about you. Don't cause a debate drawing attention to yourself about how, how awful it is to be generalized and have everyone with your identity bunched together when we've been dealing with that our entire lives. You don't see me commenting on each individual post about being upset, um, like saying, you know, how all people, all Asians are good at math or how they're fresh off the boat or submissive. Or calm, obedient, who work fast-paced with good breeding and tiny waist and bring honor to us all. Hem, Mulan. You don't see me doing that on every single individual post- person's post. And as an Asian adoptee, um, and even, I mean, maybe if you identify as mixed race or non-first-gen Asian or Pacific Islander, it is totally valid if you do not feel Asian enough or Pacific Islander enough and question if you should be feeling, you know, frustrated, scared, angry, sad, etc. It is valid to feel all of these things. And at the end of the day, you are you and you are an amazing, strong, and resilient being 
who is going to be slapped in the face with all of this racism, regardless of if you see yourself as Asian enough or Pacific Islander enough. And it's totally okay if you feel that you need to take time to process the recent events. It's okay if you need to ask for time off work, if you need to step away from social media. It, it's really important that you focus on your own self-care. And I literally had a, a conversation with my boss like a couple days ago where she said, if you're debating if you should be taking time off, you need to take time off. And so that's just mm. my advice to you all that I learned that's because good. I am someone who hates to take vacation and sick leave. Um, but I have been doing that for myself and doing things that I really love and enjoy. And you're not being silent and you're not um, not helping the cause by doing these things and, and stepping away. You're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your family. You're taking care of your community. And that's what's most important. If you don't take care of yourself, then who's going to continue doing the work, continue driving the narrative, continue making change if you, you know, fall over and in over in stress and overwhelming feelings that you are not letting out. So do whatever it is that you feel like you need to do for yourself. The community, for the most part, will be here for you tomorrow, the day after and every day from then on. And in the show notes, we'll also have links to the Stop Asian Hate resources. So I highly encourage you to check them out when you have time, when you are able, when you feel ready. Yes, yes. So <laughs> much yes. I want to snap and I want to drop the mic, but that would be problematic for the rest of this episode. And but I 100% <laughs> agree with everything that you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's also uh, worth mentioning that because we have had another mass shooting since the one in Atlanta, yeah. it does feel like media talk about how to stop violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders, it does feel like it has tapered off a little bit. And we think mm -hmm. it's important that we don't stop this conversation. We realize right. this is important. We realize that we're making progress, but to keep making more progress, we have to keep talking about it. Don't stop talking about it. The Be aggressive. Can, yeah. The more we can talk and amplify voices, the more change can happen. Okay, so I'm going to segue to the allies here, and I have to be honest, one of the hardest parts of prepping this episode was having to really digest the painful truth that African Americans were responsible for some of the hate crimes against Asian American Pacific Islanders. Mm. I realized that because of racism and white supremacy, Blacks and Asians have had a long history of tension, but let us not forget that Asian Americans were protesting right alongside us mm -hmm. during the BLM protests. They were right next to us as we were protesting the murder of George Floyd. They had a mm -hmm. hand in helping not get Trumpkin elected again. Mm -hmm. They protested with us in 69 during the mm -hmm. Third World Liberation Front. You know what we now have to do? We have to protest with them. That's what we now have to do. That is our responsibility. In the same way that Asian Americans stood by us all summer long, we have got to stand by them. We have got to show up at their protests. We have got to be on their team. Solidarity is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Do not abdicate that. We know how bad this can get. We know how bad anti minority sentiments are. Mm -hmm. I think when I say we, I'm really speaking to black people here in this moment. We know how bad it can get. 
Let's protect our Asian American Pacific Islander brothers and sisters. We know how bad it can get. Let's protect them. Let's protest with them. Let's help them to amplify their voices. Let's hand over the mic. Let's hand over the platform. It is our responsibility here and now in this moment to show up and do the very critical work for them that they have done with and for us. Mm. Whew, gosh, okay. That was sort of yeah, You get me say. emotional. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's imp- I, I think there's so much conversation about the tensions between Black and Asian people. And I think yes. to, to get carried away in those conversations is distracting. Yes, it's, I, I think that it, we don't have time for that. We've mm-hmm. got to stand united right now in this moment. Yes. Um, I think focusing on anything past solidarity, protection, and advancement of Asian American Pacific Islanders in this this moment, mm. if we're not doing all of those things, we're wasting time. Yeah. That is the first call to action. Uh, secondly, I want to just ask a rhetorical question for our allies. Uh, how do you uphold the model minority myth? Do you oh. see Asian people through the model minority lens? I think that's a really good piece of self-assessment for us allies to do. Um, again, I realize that's a hard question to ask. It's kind of like asking yourself, am I a little bit racist? Yeah, you got to dig know, into that as, unconscious bias. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and especially in these times where racial tensions are so charged, everyone mm. wants to be on the right side. Yes. of this fight, of this struggle, right? But mm-hmm. I think to truly be on the right side, you've got to do some self-reflection. And if you are holding up the model minority myth in any way, you've got to unlearn that habit. And if you're a friend of someone who is upholding the triple M, yo, hold a mirror up to them. That shit is not cool. Do mm-hmm. not speak like that. Do not see Asian American Pacific Islanders all through this lens. It's reductive and it holds us and them back. It helps no one. Mm -hmm. So do that self-introspection. If you are upholding the model minority myth in any way, kill that, dead that, it's whack. And we don't move forward if we're holding on to limiting reductive beliefs. I also want to reiterate that education is not a one-way street. In the same way that Black people find it critically important to make sure that the country has learned and understood our painful history, we have Mm -hmm. to do the same thing with Asian American Pacific Islanders. It is our responsibility to educate ourselves and value the painful history that they have gone through and understand it so that we can help them fight against it for the future. In the history portion of the show, there was a lot of echoing to the past, a lot Mm -hmm. of making the same mistakes twice and three times. Let's not do that. But in order to not do that, we have to educate ourselves. It is our responsibility. It is not their responsibility to educate us. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes in these tragic times, it's really easy to play oppression Olympics, right? Well, oh. you went through this, but I went through this. Resist that urge. We have to learn how fucked up this country has been to Asian Americans to help them fight against it in the future. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think finally, to my beautiful Black people, are you internalizing Asian American, African American tensions? I realize that those tensions can run really deep. I realize that those tensions 
exists and can be passed down from generation to generation. Again, let's amp up the self-reflection. If you are upholding any sort of tensions or you're helping them to progress, then you're not standing in solidarity. And it's only going to set us back. Us as marginalized people, it's only going to set all of us back. Mm -hmm. I think that the tragedy in Atlanta was felt not just by Asian American Pacific Islanders, but through any marginalized group thinking, am I next? Could I suffer that treatment? If we don't stand in solidarity and help Asian Americans, that could be the reality for a lot of us moving. So that is our show. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. We hope we have given you a lot of food for thought um, as we continue to combat the rise of violence against Asian Americans. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep standing up. Keep amplifying. Keep helping each other and looking out for one another. If you see something, say something. Uh, we are the Black and Yellow Podcast. We are on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast. We are also on the gram solo. I'm Alana Webster, but on the gram, they call me at Renegade of Fun. And I'm Katie Ohashi. And on Instagram, I'm at Dylan Seller. We'll be back next week with another education episode. We've got a great women, a great woman who is stemming in the STEM field world. She is fantastic. And we can't wait to bring you that interview next week. Take it easy. Stay safe. Love each other. Bye, guys. Bye.